So it is wonderful that you guys are all here, and uh, I would like to start us off with a word of prayer. It's interesting, my wife asked me last night, she's like, do you think you could do this every week? And I was like, <sighs> so Tom, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's been an interesting week. It's been a very heavy week. It's been a very uh, challenging week in regards to putting this all together. But I would like to ask God's guidance and direction and his blessing upon our time together as we talk about this very uh, challenging subject. Lord, we uh, love you, and we thank you for the opportunity to come here today as family um, to look into your word and to be encouraged by your word and to be challenged and to be convicted. I just pray, Lord, that you would be with us today. As we talk about this great battle, this great struggle that we are in together. I pray especially for our young people as they are facing things that some of the older generation never had to deal with or face. I just pray, Lord, that you would give them strength, that you would give them insight and wisdom even in their youth, that you would give them a desire to know you and to cling to you, a desire to see that their satisfaction can be found in you um, and that you can satisfy their deepest longings and needs. I pray that for all of us, that we would cling to you and know you and be satisfied in your beauty. We just lift up this morning to you and pray that you'd be with us, that you'd be high and lifted up, and that your name would be proclaimed in your name. Amen. So last week, we uh, introduced a great subject, um, and that great subject was sex or sexuality. And we are in part two of this short, short series um, but we could spend weeks on this topic because if you look at the scriptures and you look at the Bible, he talks about this topic almost in every book. And he utilizes it and uses it as a picture of the relationship that we can have with him. But he also gives this great gift to us so that we can enjoy it. And it points to him. So last week we spent time looking at the beauty of Christ. We spent time looking at this beautiful gift that God has given us, and he gave it to us all the way back in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. He gave that gift of sex to Adam and Eve. And we've also looked at the forgiveness. We looked at the woman caught in adultery, right? How she was confronted with the weight and the burden of her sin. And did Christ condemn her? No. He forgave her. And that woman experienced a change in her life that could only come from the grace and the compassion and the love that Christ gave to her. And it's pretty remarkable. Her life was never the same. We looked at the beauty of the gospel. And we looked at the forgiveness that God offers to us. We also looked at the fact that we reflect the beauty of God. We reflect His beauty and how He has changed us. And we were a reflection of that. Today, I want to look at something a little bit different, but it still is along the lines of sexual purity. And we started last week, we started with that passage in chapter uh, 1 John chapter 2. And we looked at those things that it talked about to the generations, right? We looked at these verses in chapter 2, verses 12 through the end of the chapter, real quick, quickly in our introduction. It says, I am writing to you, little children, that your sins have been forgiven because of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, that you have known him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you, young people, 
that you have conquered the evil one. I have written to you children that you have known the Father. I have written to you fathers that you have known him who has been from the beginning. And I have written to you young people that you are strong and the word of God resides in you and you have conquered the evil one. So we looked at the forgiveness that we have in the gospel. We looked at the forgiveness that we have in Christ Jesus. I also challenged you as the older generation to not disengage. That you guys are vital with your wisdom and your insight because you've known God for a long time. And I'm going to come back to that throughout our message today because it may seem like this message is maybe more for the younger generation, which maybe in some instances it is, but I want you as the older generation to really consider what your part is in this battle that we face against sexual immorality, sexual impurity. But we've got a couple verses in here, right? It says in chapter 2, verse 13, it says, I am writing to you young people that you have conquered the evil one. And then in verse 14, he says, I have written to you, young people, that you are strong and the word of God resides in you and you have conquered the evil one. So a new era has become or has come. Right. Yesterday, there was a little bit of sadness in our house. And the reason being is because I had to take the sandbox. It was getting broken. It was full of water and had to get rid of the sandbox you know and my wife and i were talking about this my wife was more sad probably than i was because she had spent hours and hours and hours with robbie and with our other boys sitting on the side of that sandbox watching them drive their cars back and forth digging holes making sandcastles all that kind of stuff those sandbox days are gone right and that's a sad thing that we can't just sit on the side of the sandbox with our children anymore playing in the dirt. All right, our sandbox is now leaned against the fence waiting for the garbage truck to come. Right? That's a sad day when that era is completed. It is finished. And so we, we mourn that. But we also look forward to the new stuff to come, the new adventures that are about to occur. Well, I want to tell you that a new era has come to our world and to our society. We are facing sexual immorality and sexual promiscuity and sexual temptation like we have never experienced before. I'm looking around the room here and I see some of the older generation, right? You guys have not faced the things that some of these young people up here in the balcony are facing. When I was in third grade, my first interaction with pornography occurred, right? I went to my best friend's house and his dad, they weren't believers, his dad had Playboy magazines in the side of his, right beside his bed, right? And that was my first interaction. And in my generation, you actually had to make an effort and you had to increase or go in front of people, you know, to get a magazine or to get a movie or whatever it may be. Do you realize that in our society now, you don't have to do that? Every kid in our world has a phone, except my kids. <laughs> and they remind me of that daily. But every kid has a phone. They can look instantly at whatever they want. We as parents have given them the keys to the world at their fingertips. They can press a button and they can be looking at pornographic images right there in front of them. Do you realize that they no longer have to work at going through these steps of getting the stuff in their lives? 
It is in their face all the time. You, as the older generation, you didn't have to deal with transgender stuff that I know of. I mean, now our kids in high school are having to decide what bathroom to go into. Am I a boy or am I a girl? God created me a boy, but the reality is I don't feel like I'm a boy. I feel like I'm a woman inside. Pretty crazy stuff. Back in the 50s and 60s, this stuff wasn't necessarily in your face. Maybe in the 60s it was a little bit. In junior high, girls are trying to entrap junior high boys with sexuality to control them and do sexual acts that we wouldn't even think of when we were in junior high. Homosexuality in our world is accepted. It's a part of our society. Our kids, all of them, probably have friends that claim to be homosexual and are struggling with this issue of being gay. Sex is a part of everyday life. And it is a battle that our young people and even some of our married people are really, really struggling with and they are hurting because of it. They live in a society that says whatever you feel is right. And what makes you feel good is true and you can't argue with me about that because you would be intolerant to do so. That is the world our kids live in. And it is the struggle and the battle that they face. I can almost guarantee you that every guy that comes out of CBC and goes off to college is confronted in major ways with pornography. I can almost guarantee it. I can remember being at a camp one time and the guy asked the question. It was just they split boys and girls and there was probably two to three hundred boys in this room. And the guy said, how many of you have ever seen pornography? Every hand in that room went up. It is in our face. It is a part of our culture. It is a part of our society. And you as the older generation need not to forget that. The era of not talk about it, not deal with these things is gone. It is no longer here. We have to deal with it. And you as the older generation, you can't close the door to it. Because... These kids up here need you. Hopefully, you've known God for a long time. Hopefully, you have wisdom to offer. Hopefully, you can come alongside. You have the opportunity, but also the responsibility. Not to say, hey, can you talk to that girl about the way she's dressed? But to really come alongside that girl putting your arm around her and saying, hey, let's talk about this. This is the world we live in, and we need to realize it. We need to start communicating and talking about this subject because it will destroy, and it has destroyed. And it's a powerful thing. So my goal this morning is to really talk about that. My goal this morning is for us to engage this battle. I feel like we have stepped back from the battle and we are not engaged in this when we should be engaged in this. When we should be talking about this. If there's anybody that should be talking about this and fighting against this, it's us as believers. Because God has given us this special gift of sex to us as believers. And we can we are the ones that can truly experience it the way God has intended us to experience it. 
and that is a good thing. We talked about that some last week. In the scriptures, we have got incredible promises. I can guarantee you, if I were to walk around this room and ask you, what promise do you cling to? What promise do you go to when you're struggling or you're in the midst of the battle? I can guarantee that all of you would give some sort of answer that you cling to, that you love, that you cherish about God. And we've got remarkable promises in God's word. We already read two this morning, right? It says that you have conquered the evil one. He also says that the word of God resides in you and you have conquered the evil one. What about 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3? It says, I can pray this because his divine power has bestowed on us or given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Did you hear that? His divine power has given us everything we need. He's given it to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, No trial has overtaken you that is not faced by others. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tried beyond what you are able to bear, but with the trial will also provide a way out so that you may be able to endure it. What a great promise. He hasn't given us anything that we can't handle or bear or endure. He is faithful. 1 John 4, 4. You are from God, little children, and have conquered them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Did you hear that? If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the one who is in you, the one who resides in you, the Holy Spirit, Christ, is greater than the one that is in the world. We can cling to these things, and we need to cling to these things. It's important. God has given us incredible promises that we can hold on to, that we can grasp. But the problem is we've got a very, very deceptive enemy that doesn't want us to cling to those promises. We've got an enemy who thrives on lying. We've got an enemy who thrives on deception. We've got an enemy who takes God's word and twists it and forms it so that he causes doubt within our lives. When he causes doubt, or he causes doubt within our hearts. And it's a challenge for us. Our enemy in 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober and alert. Your enemy, the devil, like a roaring lion, is on prowl looking for someone to devour. If you've ever seen, that's an incredible picture, if you've ever seen National Geographic TV, when lions go to town on food, they devour it. There's not any kindness. There's no grace there at all to the animal that they've just killed. They're out there eating it and devouring it. And that's what this sin does for us. It devours. And He desires to destroy the family. He desires to destroy your life. He does not care about you. He wants to devour you and deem you useless. Clothe yourselves with the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle isn't against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. We don't battle against flesh and blood. Our battle is against spiritual forces. There's a verse that we always memorize at children's camp. And it's John 8, 44. And in each of the stories that Mark Sellers wrote, there's always the enemy. And 
in that verse, it says, You people are from your father, the devil, and you want to do what your father desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not uphold the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he lies, he is speaking according to his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. Did you hear that? He was a murderer from the beginning. There is no truth in him. He is a father of lies. His desire as our enemy is to twist and to distort the truth so that you guys go the wrong way. He desires to deceive you. He desires to destroy you. He desires to ruin your life. This verse last night was brought up in our minister group where we basically were talking about this message. Genesis 4-7, and this is God talking to Cain. It says, Is it not true that if you do what is right, you will be fine? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to dominate you, but you must subdue it. Sin is crouching at the door. There's nothing positive about that. Sin desires to dominate and to crouch and to destroy. You know, there's an illustration that I've used a couple times, but at camp where I grew up, there was, this, there was a skit that we used to do, and it was called The Fence. And basically you had God on one side, you had a fence in the middle, and you had Satan on the other side. And the first guy comes up and he's like, hey, you know, I'm going to choose God. You know, and he says, I want to live for Christ. I want to do what I can for him. I want to serve him well. He died for me. He radically changed my life. I'm going to choose God. So he goes over and he sits on God's side. The next person comes up and he's like, eh, this whole God thing's not for real. God doesn't exist, yada, yada, yada. He goes through and then he sits down and says, I'm going to choose this side over here. So he goes and sits on Satan's side. And Satan looks at God and says, ha, one, one, you know. And so there's this battle going on between God and Satan. Well, the next person comes in and says, you know what? I don't know. I like some of the good things about God, but I also like this over here. I can't make up my mind. I don't know what's going to go on. I'm just going to sit here right in the middle. I'm going to sit on the fence. And God looks at Satan, or Satan looks at God and says, huh, two, one, I win. I own the fence. That's the reality, right? Satan owns the fence. He wants to deceive you. He wants you to think, oh, I can have some of this and some of this over here. He doesn't want you to make a decision to truly follow after God in this area of your life. He wants to deceive you. He wants you to sit on the fence so that you're useless. The person that's on that fence doesn't do things for God. They're only looking out for their own interests. What did he do to Eve in the garden? Is it really true that God said you must not eat from another any tree of the orchard? God is withholding something good from you. Surely you will not die, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like divine beings who know good and evil. And what happened? Eve started focusing on the fruit. She was deceived. He twisted the truth. Surely God didn't say that. He's withholding something really, really good from you. You need to go partake of that. You're missing out on something. We are targets for sexual immorality, are we not? There's nothing more that our enemy, the deceiver, the murderer, the one that would want us to sit on that fence, would want 
for us to become useless in God's eyes or become useless in the world's eyes in sharing the love of Christ. Satan would love nothing more for you to destroy your life, your family, your friends. He is a deceiver and the father of lies. He is a murderer. I read a couple quotes this week. Randy Alcorn says, More Christians, including Christian leaders, become useless and are lost to serving Christ due to sexual immorality. The devil wants to derail you from serving God. He wants to imprison you to sin. Satan is an expert at telling lies. And he tells them smoothly and convincingly. He has persuaded many young people, it's okay to touch her there. It's okay to let him touch you. It's natural. It won't hurt anything. Soon there's lust, sin, devastation, disillusionment, loss of respect, conflict, insecurity, and sometimes unwanted pregnancy and sexually transmitted diseases. Many young people end up angry and bitter at themselves and others because they bought the lie. The relationship is ruined and they are now paying the price. That's what Satan wants. Our enemy wants that. He tells us lie after lie after lie as it pertains to this area of our lives. So what are some of the lies that Satan may tell us? My sin is too great to be forgiven. Right? Some of you guys maybe have made mistakes in your life where you don't feel like you can have the forgiveness that God offers because you feel like your sin is too great. That is a lie. We read that last week and we talked about that. God's grace is huge. And He desires to lavish it upon you. He desires to forgive you. He desires to give you life and life abundant. He desires to take that burden off your back and allow you to experience His love and forgiveness. Don't believe the lie. The other, another lie. Your temptations define you. You know what? We as men are all tempted, in most cases, by beautiful women. There is a temptation there. But that does not define you as a man. Christ should define you as a man. As a woman, Christ should define you as a woman. Not how you look or how you dress. It should be Christ. God designed you to have sex. He gave you something you couldn't obey. We can obey. Because He's given us His Holy Spirit. Yes, God has designed you to have sex. It is ingrained in us. It is a good thing in the right context. And we can obey. Don't worry about the future. You need to think about the here and now. Now is what's important. This feels good to me right now, so I'm going to partake in it. That's a lie. We do need to think about the future. We need to think about the day when we stand before Christ. We need to think about the marriage supper of the Lamb when we spend eternity with Him and see Him face to face. You don't need to talk about sex with your kids. It's too scary. You know what? It is scary. But if you don't talk to them, someone else will. And more than likely, it's going to be the boy in the locker room standing by him telling about his conquests that he happened last night, which is false and wrong. That's the reality. We don't have to be afraid to talk about sex. In fact, we need to communicate and talk with our kids about it. Today is Father's Day. Our kids need fathers more than anything else in this world right now, other than Christ. But they need fathers to step up and talk to their kids. Dads, your daughters need you. 
They need the security of an earthly father that is not afraid to talk to them about these things. That will protect them. Sons or dads, you need to talk to your sons about sex. They need to hear it from you. They need to hear the truth. We don't need to be afraid. Because if we don't talk about it, they will hear it. And it will be wrong. And in the wrong context. And not in the way God intended it to be talked to. God made you this way. It's another lie. God has abandoned you to struggle this on your own. Bet you a lot of us has felt that at certain times in our lives where we feel alone in this struggle. That I am taking this battle on myself. That is so not true. That's why we need to talk about it. You are not alone in this battle. These young people up here need to know that you guys have struggled with this in the past. And how did you overcome it? They need you to go talk to them and come alongside them and tell them and encourage them, disciple them. They need to see that they can trust you as the older generation. Very important. Being truthful is too hard and it's not worth it. A big one. Your feelings are true. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It feels good. What harm can there be? You know what? Our feelings are deceiving. There's plenty of time to repent. Jesus died for all these sins anyways. We've got time. We are not guaranteed tomorrow. And we need to live today as if it is our last. I'm alone in this we talked about. I just can't forgive him or her. How many of us have been in that space where we've been hurt because of maybe sexual immorality or something that's occurred and we can't bring ourselves to forgive? Well, I tell you what, Jesus Christ forgave us a massive amount of sin. He has forgiven us and He has given us His Spirit to forgive. No one will ever know. Right? This is a lie that we hear a lot. This doesn't hurt anyone. You're, in, you're by yourself. How can this hurt? No one will ever know. Well, God knows. And God desires to be a part of this area of your life. You deserve better. If I stay in this marriage, I will look weak. Maybe your husband or your wife has done something that is inappropriate and wrong. And you feel like that if I stay in this marriage, I'm going to look weak. That's a lie that Satan tells us. If I was only skinnier or prettier or more exciting, maybe he wouldn't have looked somewhere else. Another lie. That God gives us, or that Satan tells us. Anyone who does this is a monster and not worthy of my forgiveness or grace. And the last one here, you are keeping something good from us. Right? Satan tells, tells us that. You know, especially you young people. We talk about sex, and it is a good thing. And it's a great thing. It's a gift from God that points us to Him. It's something that we as married people can experience. And so you say, well, you tell us to abstain, but you're just holding something good from us. That's not true. At some point in your life, you will experience it. And it is a good thing, but God has called you at this point in your life to abstain. I can remember being a kid and saying, God, don't come back because I want to have sex. I mean, we all had that as guys, especially, I don't, you know, that was, I mean, we wanted to get married so that we could participate in that. But here's the problem, right? 
when does the enemy have victory in this area? The enemy has victory in this area, one, when we don't communicate it about it or talk about it. If we just sweep it under the rug and leave it there to fester and we don't talk about it, the enemy is one and he has victory because he has controlled us by fear so that we don't communicate on it. We need to talk about this subject. We don't need to be afraid to deal with it. When is the enemy one? When the older generation in our bodies are harsh and quick to condemn and shut their doors to the younger generation. When they do not make an attempt to come alongside and fight in the battle with the younger generation. When they are not willing to talk through the issues and share their wisdom and insight from what God has taught them through the years, the enemy has won. He has held you at bay, older generation. You are still here on this earth for a purpose, for a reason. God has not taken you home yet. You need to fight alongside these young people. And young people, you need to fight alongside these older people in this body. But we need to talk about it. We need not be afraid about it. Three, when the younger generation throws up their hand and says, this isn't that big of a deal. It is a big deal. This is important. You guys are being faced and challenged with this stuff in amazing and very difficult ways. You need not throw up your hands and say it's not that big of a deal because it is a big deal. It is a picture of Christ. It is a picture of something that's special and something that's honoring to the Lord. So if we have victory in Christ and we have these great promises, why are we not living more in that victory? Why are we not fighting better against these temptations? Right? That's the question I've really struggled with this week. I have struggled to put feet to this. This isn't a list of do's and don'ts because do's and don'ts will always fail you. When you set up all these parameters and guidelines, you are trying to do this on your own to overcome and to conquer this sin that you struggle with. And when you fail, the shame is even greater because you can't do it. It's not about gritting your teeth and pushing through this. Because we can't do it on our own. There's no way. We have to live by faith. We have to do this by faith. And we have to battle unbelief. Romans 6, 1 and 7 says, What shall we say then? Are we to remain in sin so that grace may increase? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? You go a little further in that chapter, it says, We know that our old man was crucified with him so that the body of sin would no longer dominate us, so that we would no longer be enslaved to, some, to sin. For someone who has died has been freed from sin. Did you hear that? We are dead to sin. The gospel has radically changed our lives. We are no longer a slave to sin, but we are God's children. We are dead to sin. That's amazing. But the battle rages on. But we have to claim these promises. We have to grab hold of them and say, I don't have to succumb to this sin any longer because I am dead to sin. Satan appeals to those desires, does he not? He appealed to that desire in the garden. He appeals to that sexual desire that we have in our lives in many forms or fashions. We are wired for sex. God created us that way. 
Unbelief does not have anything to do with with the sense of want or desire. We have that within us. God created us to have that. It's a part of who we are as a being, as a relational being, as a created son or daughter of God. It's like if you're really tired, you desire sleep. If you're really hungry, you desire a big steak. God created us with these sexual desires. And that's a good thing. And you'll have those desires. And those desires aren't sin. But those desires must be fulfilled in the right context and in the right way, which is marriage. You will have temptations, but those temptations don't have to define you as God's child. Being tempted and having desires is not sin. It is really what you do with those desires that makes or breaks you. Right? You have a choice to make. You're sitting there in your room or wherever, and you've got a choice. These urges, these desires come up. You've got a computer there. What do you do? You have to make a choice. Sexuality has always been God's idea, and He uses it to be glorified through singles and married couples. John Piper says, The ultimate reason why we are sexual is to make God more fully noble. Our sexual desires reflect a deeper spiritual intimacy that God longs to have with us beyond what we can attain physically. Sexuality is therefore meant to be embraced and then properly stewarded. For singles, that means practicing abstinence. For married people, it means enjoying the sexual pleasures that God has given you to enjoy. Holiness is not about getting rid of that desire for sex. That is a big lie. God created our desires. That should be a proof that attempting to get rid of them is not His plan. Trying to get rid of those desires leads you into a legalistic lifestyle that never works and is based on what you do, not what God is doing in you through His Holy Spirit. We have to acknowledge Christ. And we have to strive for holiness. Like I said earlier, I have no, no desire to give you a list of do's and don'ts. Those are man-made ways of trying to accomplish what the, only the Holy Spirit can accomplish in you. We need to come to grips with the fact that God made sex and the desires for sex in both men and women. Although different, they are good. Satan's desire, though, is for you to seek the fruit over the maker of the fruit. His desires for you to believe the here and now, the temporal pleasures of sex far outweigh the pleasures of knowing the King of kings and Lord of lords. His desires to distract you from the ultimate truth and keep you in bondage to sin. Satan lies are empty promises. They're a satisfaction that lasts only for a moment, but leave you feeling gross, yucky, dirty, and ashamed. They didn't have the payoff that was promised to you. There is pleasure in sin. That's a reality. But that pleasure lasts for only a moment. It doesn't last forever. And they leave you wanting more. It leaves you in this state of being ashamed and struggling and saying, why did I do that? I feel gross. I feel yucky. Whatever it may be. That's Satan's desire. But God's desire is greater. The fight for sexual purity is the fight of faith. The fight against lust is a battle against unbelief. Do you believe that God can fulfill 
the deepest longings and yearnings of your heart. Do you believe that? We need to accept by faith what God has given us. Faith just isn't believing all these facts about God, believing all these doctrines. Faith takes action. Faith embraces those things. Faith embraces the beauty of Christ. When we look at these things, we can see that this is a battle of faith. We need to make decisions. Do you believe wholeheartedly that God can give you victory in this area of your life? You may battle it all your days, but you may have victory day by day by day because He has given it to us. We don't just need to believe these things up here. We need to believe them and connect them to here. Do you believe that God can satisfy the deepest longings of your heart? That's where rubber meets the road. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1-8 says, Finally then, brothers and sisters, we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus Christ that as you received instruction from us about how you must live and please God as you are in fact living, that you do so more and more. For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is God's will, that you become holy, that you keep away from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own body in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. In this matter, no one should violate the rights of his brother or take advantage of him, because the Lord is the avenger in all these cases. As we also told you earlier and warned you solemnly, for God did not call us to impurity, but in holiness. Consequently, the one who rejects this is not rejecting human authority, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. We see what God's will is in this passage. In this passage, his will is that you become holy. We brought that up this morning. Patrick did in 1 John chapter 1. In him is no darkness at all. We are to be holy as he is holy. That is God's will for our life. It also says that you keep away from sexual immorality. We are called to keep away from those things because they do not do us any good. God is not withholding something that is good from you. He is protecting you and desires that you stay away from sexual immorality. His will is that you know how to possess your own body in holiness and honor, not like the Gentiles who do not know God. They act in lustful passion, in disbelief. Our struggle is that, do we believe what God says? Are we desiring to keep away from these things? Are we desiring to do God's will? He desires that you become holy, that you keep away from sexual immorality, that you know how to possess your own body, that you don't act in lustful passions like the Gentiles who do not know God. Everyone in this room, when I look around, I believe, knows God. And that's a good thing. And He shows us how to live and how to act and how we should handle these things. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 3, it says, See what sort of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called God's children. And indeed we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, but it did not know Him. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will has yet, has yet not yet been revealed. We know that whenever it is revealed, we will be like Him because we will see him just as he is. 
And everyone who has this hope focused on him purifies himself just as Jesus is pure. We need to have our eyes fixed on Christ. We need to know him. When we fight against pornography, when we fight against sexual immorality, when we fight against all these battles that we face, we need to have our eyes fixed on him, the author and perfecter of our faith. If we're just setting up boundaries and do's and don'ts, it will not work. We need to look to him who gives us strength, who gives us courage, who helps us fight day to day. We need to communicate with one another and share our struggles in this area. We need to help each other along in this battle. If we have disengaged from the battle, we are of no good. We have to fight. We have to believe, not just intellectually, but we have to embrace who God is. We have to embrace His promises. We have to believe with all of our heart that Jesus is good, that He's forgiving, that He's kind, He's compassionate, but also that He will judge sin. We have to believe that one day He is coming back and we will be with Him and we will see Him face to face. We need to cling to these promises as we fight and as we battle and as we engage this, this battle against sexual immorality. We must stand firm. If you look at Hebrews chapter 11, it's full of men and women who live by faith. When God asked Abraham to leave and go, he didn't just think it. He took action upon it. And he left and he went. God has given us great promises that we believe up here, but we need to take action on it. When we're confronted with sin, when we're confronted with the temptation to do something that is inappropriate or wrong in the area of sexual immorality, we need to first think of Christ. We know when the battle's going to occur, at least in my life, I know when I'm going to have the greatest struggles. When I'm going to face the greatest temptations for pornography or whatever, I know when those are going to occur. And if I let that fester, that happens. We know when the battle is going to occur in our lives. And we need to be prepared for it. We need to be ready for it. We need to avoid those circumstances or ask for help in those times and needs. We must be engaged in the battle. If you're not in the battle, you've already been defeated. This is a fight that we all face. And we need to be engaged in it. The older generation, you must stay engaged. The younger people are in the fight of their life and they need you. If you become disengaged, you are leaving the younger generation without your wisdom, your knowledge, and your insight. You must approach this generation with gentleness and an eagerness to come alongside. They need you. They need you to be able to trust you and communicate and talk through these things with you. So please, don't disengage. God is not done with you yet. Come alongside. If God brings something to your heart and mind that you need to communicate, walk up to them with great courage, put your arm around them, and in gentleness, show them love, and communicate and talk with them. Because they need that. We must know God. We must seek Him and spend time with Him. We must fix our gaze upon His beauty and what He is offering to His children rather than what the world is trying to offer. This will not be easy. The battle rages on. But I can promise you, you won't be disappointed. If you're not spending time with Christ, 
If you're not spending time in His Word and in prayer, the battle is going to be brutal because your gaze is not fixed on what it needs to be fixed on. And this is not just for the young people. Older people, middle-aged people, are you spending time with Christ? Are you fixing your gaze on Him? Are you looking in God's Word and seeing the beauty of the Savior? That verse that I started with, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through the knowledge. We need to be in God's Word, on our face before Him, reading God's Word and getting to see His beauty. I promise you that you will not be disappointed. You will be fully satisfied and can be fully satisfied in the beauty of Christ. The satisfactions that the world is offering are only fleeting and they last for a moment. But the satisfaction that you can find in Christ by spending time with Him, by following Him, by obeying Him, by abstaining from things that you need to be abstaining from are good is good. You need to be engaged in spending time with Christ. We need to memorize the Scripture. I can remember, for me, one of the things that I try to remember is Psalm 119.9. How can a young man maintain a pure life by taking, gu- taking heed or by guarding it according to your instructions? When we're tempted, we can quote Scripture. I can still remember asking someone about that in high school. How can a young man maintain a pure life? By taking heed according to God's Word. We need to have things on the tip of our mind that we have put in there that we can quote as we battle and engage in this battle. We must not grumble and complain about our circumstances in the battle that we're in. If we do, that, then we kind of stay put and we don't move forward, we lose. So often we engage in that and we grumble and we complain about the sin that we're struggling with. And we don't get past that. God doesn't like grumbling and complaining. Be content in the circumstance that you find yourself in and fight well. We need to obey. Plain and simple. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. If you know Jesus, the Spirit of God lives in you and He's working in you and He can give you self-control. We are called to be self-controlled. We are called to obey. These battles and temptations, they do not define you. You are a child of the King who has extended His hand of forgiveness to you and loves you so deeply, He desires what is best for you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you are a child of the King and that He desires what is best for you? Right now, for you younger people, His desire for best, what's best for you is to abstain. As difficult as that is, He asks you to abstain. Parents, you have to talk to your kids about sex. Do not fear that conversation, but embrace it. If you do not talk with your children about it, they will hear about it from a friend or some other means. But it needs to come from you as parents or grandparents. Romans 8.31-32 says, What then shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Indeed, he will not, did he not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all? How will he not also, along with him, freely give us all things? If God is for us, who can be against us?
we have got an incredible God. We have got a God who gives us special gifts. We've also got an enemy who desires to distort the truth and destroy you. But did you hear that last verse? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who's bigger than God? Nothing. Who's stronger than God? No one. Who's more loving and gracious and kind and forgiving than God? Absolutely no one. Our God is awesome. Our God desires that we fix our gaze upon Him. He desires to satisfy the deepest longings and urges of your life. He desires to be a part of that. He desires to be a part of your struggles and give you hope and courage and strength. He desires to communicate with you through His Word and through your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. If you are struggling, we need to talk. We need to communicate so that we can fight this together. If our enemy can captivate us and keep us in shame and fear, we will never move forward. We've got to embrace our great and mighty God. That song we sang, I love, at the very beginning, the chorus is, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Find your satisfaction in Him. I promise you, you won't be disappointed. In fact, you will be encouraged and be able to share that with those around you. Our God is a mighty God who does not leave you by yourself. We are in this together. Let's battle. Let's communicate. Let's talk about these things. I look at these two weeks as an opportunity to open the doors for that for our body. A way to communicate and talk and show love towards one another. And we have that opportunity now. Lord, you're a great God, and we love you. Lord, I feel like just falling so short of this topic and, uh, and what you desire. But I pray that your spirit would work and move. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would uh, encourage our hearts and convict us. I pray, Lord, that we would not stay in our sin, but that we would cling to you and your forgiveness, and that we would walk in your glory and grace and in your beauty. Pray, Lord, that we would embrace you and love you and uh, take it from an intellectual knowledge and put feet to it and walk in it. Lord, we need your help. This battle is hard. It's challenging. It's in our face, and we struggle with it on a day-to-day basis. I pray, Lord, that you would unify our body in this. Help us to extend love and wisdom to those around us. Help us to use our relationship with you for each other. Pray, Lord, that you do a mighty work in our body. Pray, Lord, that if there's sin that needs to be communicated and talked about, that we'd be able to do that and get it out in the open so that confession and repentance and forgiveness can be experienced. Pray, Lord, that you would help our body to grow and to mature, help our body to see fruit, help our body to see your hand at work, bring more people to our body, Lord. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word and the power that it exhibits. I pray these things in your name. Amen.